You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. Ready to disrupt your industry without disrupting your flow? The Levy Evening MBA program at Santa Clara University might just be the perfect fit. The Levy School of Business is where you'll reach new heights without compromising your current career. You'll meet your part-time MBA cohort two evenings per week on Levy's campus in the very heart of Silicon Valley, where innovation and creativity thrive. Join Silicon Valley's premier part-time MBA program for working professionals. Search Levy Evening MBA to discover more. One more time, Levy Evening MBA. The Lanby is a membership-based primary care practice in New York City providing unlimited, all-inclusive care in a hospitality-forward setting. Designed by patients for patients, the Lanby is founded on the belief that good primary care should be integrative, personalized, and above all, service-centric. At the core of the membership is a dedicated three-person care team assigned to each patient to cover what they call the three pillars of the patient journey, 
medicine, wellness, and patient admin, led by a physician, registered dietitian, and a concierge manager. Membership includes unlimited visits and chat, both in-person and virtual, a personalized care plan, access to vetted specialist referral network, on-site lab work and testing, exclusive wellness programming, perks, and more. The Lanby is a sophisticated club space inspired by New York City's coveted hospitality scene, along with five-star service that caters to the patient at every touch point. If you're looking for a reimagined medicine for the modern generation, visit thelanby.com to learn more. So I do think during the pandemic, I went into the mom stuff hard because I was so bored, like, because you have all this extra time because you're not, like, traveling to the person and doing the interview. And, like, suddenly the time I was working was cut down by quite a bit. Lifestyle expert, Michelle Park. Hi, Michelle. Please welcome back my friend, health and beauty pro, Michelle Park. Please welcome lifestyle expert, friend of the show, Michelle Park. Welcome to She Pivots. I'm your host, Emily Tish sussman I had left my decade-long political career in D.C. after having my first two kids during the Trump presidency and felt burnt out. After having my third child, spending a year in lockdown with my family, and another tough and exhausting election, I began to find solace in the stories of women who had made these big career decisions and then found success and happiness in their change. I began to realize that so many women had pivoted due to personal reasons, and they still found success through non-traditional paths. This new show celebrates these stories, and I'm so excited to bring them to you with She Pivots. Michelle Park is one of the more fabulous women you might encounter. She is an Emmy Award-winning TV host, who has appeared on programs as a lifestyle reporter, including Good Morning America, The Steve Harvey Show, The Drew Barrymore Show, The Food Network, and more. But like so many moms, the pandemic forced her to pause. But it also led to opportunities she never would have thought. Becoming a TikTok mom influencer. So my name is Michelle Park, and what do I do? I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, I actually thought I was going to be a lawyer my entire life. Like, truly, I went to college thinking I was going to be a lawyer. I was pre-law. I had an offer to be a paralegal at a very fancy New York City law firm when I graduated. And I remember I met one of the girls that was doing the job that I would be doing, and she was like, don't take this job. This is the worst job in the world. And I was like, oh. So it just kind of threw everything off. But to answer your question in a very long way, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. So she encountered her first pivot. So I went to Stanford, and Juju Chang, who also went to Stanford, who is also Korean-American, was on campus doing some sort of talk. I see her, and I start kind of, like, stalking her a little bit. Like, I was, like, kind of following her around, but, like, not saying hi because I was awkward and nervous. And I feel like, in my memory, she said hi to me first. And then I was like, oh, my God, you're Juju Chang. Like, I love you. You are just you're the shining star of Korean-Americans who graduated from Stanford, whatever. And she's like, send me your resume. I'll get you a job. And I distinctly remember saying to her, okay, Juju Chang, you get me a job. Like, come on, really? I literally, I was like, she asked me for a resume. It's probably going to go to her spam, but whatever. And then she literally got me a job at ABC News. So was that the first job in television yep. with her at ABC News? Yep. 
And I was a, oh, what did they call it? Like production secretary or something. I was like the lowest rung on the totem pole. But yeah, I, I did that for three months. I got a job offer from KMBC in LA to come be an editorial assistant. And Juju was like, go, like go do the local news thing. It's how you're going to move up quickly. So I left and I went to LA. Still thinking she would be behind the camera, Michelle moved to L.A. At that time, I actually thought I was going to be an investigative producer. I wanted to be behind the camera the whole time. I really thought that it was, like, cool to get to travel and tell these stories and unearth these gnarly different stories that existed in the world. But her plan flew out the window when she got a call from a friend who told her to come in for a camera test. And after the head of the network saw her work, they made her an offer. So she moved from behind the camera to in front, all while juggling crazy hours. I shifted my schedule at NBC to like 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. on the weekends. She made it to the big screen on her local TV station, but she had her eyes set on New York One. That was her goal. My goal was to make it to New York One, so I applied to New York One every month. They kept telling me to stop sending me, sending their stuff, like sending my stuff to them. But she sent me this email and she was like, we're getting your stuff. We're looking for somebody with live news experience. You can stop sending it. And so I was like, well, I have you. Like, what specifically do you mean? And then I just, I faked it. Let's just put it out there publicly. I faked all the live shots on my tape. And when I say I faked it, I mean like she wanted live shots. I literally hired a cameraman to make it look like I was shooting live shots. And I went around LA and was like, we're here outside of the this like, car accident that just happened. And what we're hearing from the authorities is blah, 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 right? Like that's what I was doing. And I put together this reel and then they were like, they called me. They said, can you come in for an interview tomorrow? She had no plans to be in New York City at the time. But she booked herself a ticket and got herself to New York One. And I was like, funny you say that. I'm going to be in New York. Total lie. I booked a ticket. I flew to New York. I remember getting my hair blown out. Dry bar didn't exist at the time at like some random salon. And I walked into New York One and I did this interview and then I got the job. No, so I started out at New York One as a just like a general assignment reporter kind of role. I was freelance at first and then they brought me on full time to be an anchor reporter so then I started anchoring during the week a couple days and then reporting. And then I think about two years in, they moved me over to like covering fashion and food. So I got to do that. I mean, I really credit New York One with just like me, my growth as a journalist on television. So they gave me a lot of opportunities to do things here and there. But I do think that once I had done all the New York stuff, I wanted to get out of New York. Like I really wanted to view what was going on in the country as a whole versus what these like small things that are that are happening in New York. So um, so then I shifted out. I actually went to work in sports news for a while. So I went to MSG. But I, I remember like thinking to myself, I would really love to cover this story about like this Asian American issue. And I can't because it's not very important to New York. It's just very important to Asian Americans across the country. So that was really where I was coming from. Looking back at her goals from when she was behind the camera, Michelle wanted to dig her teeth into more substantial, hard-hitting stories. Something that spoke to her as a Korean American woman. So she took a break and thought about her next move. Yeah, and then I took a little break. I um I ended up on the Steve Harvey show as his lifestyle expert for a couple seasons, and then I did a bunch of time. I did the Harry Connick show. I did GMA. I did Tamron Hall. And then now I do the Drew Barrymore show. And I realized, like, a couple years ago that I really did want to get back into doing stories versus doing, like, this kind of, like, show-and-tell, fun, lifestyle stuff. So I went to NBCLX, which is where I am currently, and I um, contribute stories for them about, like, national issues, which is pretty much exactly what I wanted to do. So how did your goals shift as you were moving through this? I mean, you hadn't 
thought that you were going to be a reporter on air, you know, as you were growing up. So did your goals shift? Like, did you think to yourself, I want to be in five years, I want to be X kind of reporter. I want to be on X kind of coverage. Did they shift as you went along? I think they shifted like in the moment. So as things were happening, I just kind of went with the flow. And then when I felt like something wasn't working for me, I would just pivot. I think my goal overall was I'm an Asian American woman. I want to be somebody who has some sort of autonomy in media, who can tell the stories that need to be told. It didn't matter to me if I was in front of the camera or behind the camera. It didn't matter to me if it was going to be, frankly, if it was going to be like magazine or television, it just happened to be television for me. But it was just more about like, let me tell the stories of my community. Yeah, I feel like the coverage for Asian American women in particular has probably changed over the trajectory of your career. How has it changed, you know, the stories that you've pitched and what's landed? You know, when I first started out in the industry, it was still, you know, Connie Chung was the archetype. And it was still like, I would be on the street covering real stories and people would walk by and be like, hey, Connie Chung. And I'm like, I'm not Connie Chung. But I think now we're at a place where like we are viewed as a little bit more three-dimensional not just as Asian American women, but I think as Asian Americans in general, there there are more dimensions to us. And this whole model minority myth where Asian Americans were always viewed as these people who are very silent and just kind of like took it and worked hard is something that I've always viewed as incredibly damaging. And I think, especially with what's happened during the pandemic, we're starting to see a little bit of a different narrative come out. Not only is Michelle glad to see a change in the narratives for Asian American women, she's been a part of that narrative shift using her own platforms to uplift her personal experiences and the experiences of others. Thankfully, the media world has really kind of helped uplift different minorities, not just Asian Americans, and give them a little bit more of a platform to talk about the issues that matter to us or that are just, like, unique to us. Do you feel like there's a there's a pathway of the stories where you can track, like, what stories you pitched and what landed that tracks, like, the national shift in narrative? I don't think I was even able to pitch those stories in the beginning, to be honest. But with the rise in AAPI hate and the awareness around it, she was able to cover more stories about the Asian American experience. Last year, Michelle aired a story on NBCLX after the tragic shooting of six Asian women and three others in Atlanta. Eight people are dead, six of them Asian women. And while there were headlines and news reports and social media... But he does claim that it was not racially motivated. How the story was told is an example of how it can feel to be Asian in America. Jamie Moy says it's a feeling of being unseen and unheard. They cared more about what he said and what he said he did it, why he did it, instead of who died and who lost their lives and who lost their mother or or wife. <sighs> and they gave me 10 minutes to tell the stories of five or six different Asian Americans from across the country. We just let them tell their stories. And to give them 10 minutes on national television, I don't think ever would have happened when I entered this industry. I can only imagine, and we had actually talked about this on your podcast, Mom's Got This, how having kids impacted your career. Yeah, quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So before I had my kids, I was traveling a lot. And I I was also doing ground media tours. So I was like going from... Fox station to Fox station to Fox station in like 35 markets or like CBS station, whatever. 
And Steve was taping in Chicago, so I was flying to Chicago. Wait, I actually don't know that everyone knows what a ground media tour is, and it's wild. So. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of work <laughs> is what it is. Because, like, there are these satellite media tours where you sit in a room and you, like, satellite into all the networks. But a ground media tour means I am there in person. So I was, like – like, I would come from – I would go from New York to Chicago. I would go to Fox and I would do ABC. Then I would get on a plane and go to – Colorado, and then I would do, you know, the stations, and I would go to Arizona. I mean, I never went home. And I had my kids, and I had these dreams of going right back. It was the peak of her career, and was traveling from New York to L.A. to Chicago. Then all of a sudden, she had this little baby who changed everything. Like, I was like, I had my first daughter. I was like, I'm just, you know, I'll take like a couple weeks off, and then I'll just go right back on the road. And we booked my first segment with Steve when she was 12 weeks old. When her daughter was just a few months old, Michelle tried to go back to traveling and in the studio, but handing off her daughter while she filmed left her feeling uneasy. So she made the decision to put everything on hold for a while. Because I felt like while I have these big dreams for what I want to accomplish, I think being a mom really changed me. So I put it on hold, like truly, and I I guess it's still kind of on hold because I haven't fully come back. (laughs) Well, you've come back in a different way. Yeah. And you started doing these lunchbox videos on TikTok and with lessons attached to them or stories yes. attached to them. You must have been a relatively early TikTok adopter. Like, how did you get into it? So I do think during the pandemic, I went into the mom stuff hard because you have all this extra time because you're not like traveling to the person and doing the interview. And like suddenly the time I was working was cut down by quite a bit. What was that like for you? I mean, everyone had you know, when we thought it was two weeks of a pandemic right. and we're going to hang out and came home with like games our kids playing at home. But being a journalist at that point, where did you think your career was going? It was actually a very exciting time to be a journalist because there was so much stuff to cover. However, I think the point at which I kind of felt fatigued was like four or five months in, we've now done Zoom interviews the entire time. I think that's why I said to myself, maybe I could be a stay-at-home mom because this is not fulfilling, like talking to people over Zoom, trying to get good interview bites, which I personally feel like you can't really get a fantastic interview unless you're in person. I kept thinking to myself, maybe I can just set aside like five years to be home and take my kids to soccer practice and like be around and like do these things for them. And I'll make my lunchboxes on TikTok and that can be like the thing that I do. Ready to disrupt your industry without disrupting your flow? The Levy Evening MBA program at Santa Clara University might just be the perfect fit. The Levy School of Business is where you'll reach new heights without compromising your current career. You'll meet your part-time MBA cohort two evenings per week on Levy's campus in the very heart of Silicon Valley, where innovation and creativity thrive. Join Silicon Valley's premier part-time MBA program for working professionals. Search Levy Evening MBA to discover more. One more time, Levy Evening MBA. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Just head to Amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAS shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. The combination of the lockdowns, time off work, and boredom created the perfect environment for TikTok to take off. And Michelle, like so many others, started to make videos to fill the time. Through it all, though, there's been TikTok, providing moments of levity and new dance crazes interspersed with more serious commentary on the issues that we face. 
I always knew strangers saw me as Asian before they saw anything else. I often still get asked where I'm from before people ask what my name is. I've been feeling an immense amount of mom guilt lately. I'm a newscaster and I've had to work super late, so my kids are long asleep by the time I get home. And in the morning, I'm up taking calls and getting ready. So I started in May of 2020. So yeah, so May of 2020. And my first TikTok was literally like, I was pointing at words and the words said, this is how you know you're too old for TikTok. I started out doing mom hacks actually. And then when I started making the lunch boxes, the lunch, I had to make lunch. So I was already doing the lunch thing. I enjoyed making the bento boxes because I thought they were cute. I like went crazy at the Japanese store and bought all the bento accessories because they're adorable. And like, I, you know, this is just what I wanted to be doing. My kids are completely unimpressed, by the way. They're just like, oh, it's another bear sleeping under an egg blanket. Cool. Like whatever. Right? I'm like, do you know how long it took me to make that eggplant? I quilted that egg blanket for you. But anyway, um, so yeah. So I think that what ended up happening was I started telling these stories about my kids because I feel really strongly about certain things. Like I really feel like we should respect people's pronouns. And I, I was seeing these videos on TikTok where people were like, what the hell is with these pronouns or whatever? And so I told this story. I took my daughter to Starbucks um, where there's a trans barista who I've interacted with, but she's never met. And she's, she saw her and she said to me, she's like, mom, is that a boy or a girl? And I was like, well, and then I thought to myself, how do I answer this, right? I spir spiraled in my head. And then I was like, you know, you can ask. Like, And she's like, how do you ask? And I was like, if I were you, I would say, hi, I'm Michelle. My pronouns are she, her. What are your pronouns? And she was like, okay. So then she asked her. I already know I'm going to get a bunch of angry comments calling me a bad mom, but I'm telling the story anyway. We were at Starbucks and there was a trans woman barista. My daughter looked at me and said, mama, is that a he or a she? And I initially considered explaining what trans meant, but it seemed like a lot for the middle of Starbucks. So instead I said, why don't we ask what their pronouns are? She asked how. So I said, I would say, hi, I'm Michelle. My pronouns are she, her. What are your pronouns? And then my daughter did the same. The barista like looked like she was going to cry because she was like, I don't think she's ever been asked that by anyone, frankly. We got our coffee for free that day. And it was just like, it was one of these moments that I talked about. And then like, I got insane amounts of backlash. But I also got all these trans kids in my DMs just being like, thank you. Like, I've watched your TikTok like 50 times. I feel so unseen. I feel so unheard. The fact that you're teaching this next generation these things means a lot. And I, I know it's bizarre to say that I felt so fulfilled by making this TikTok, but I truly did. I mean, I got hundreds and hundreds of DMs from these kids. Being in media for a long time, I'm sure you've experienced your fair of negative comments, mm -hmm. you know, people coming at you. I've definitely gotten a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like the negative comments you got back from the pronouns video was different than what you'd seen from other things you'd put out? Yeah, actually they were much they were much more pointed at me being a bad mom and threatening to take my kids, which is something that I hadn't normally experienced. Like you know, well, I think what we do on TV is a little different. Like you're you're still pretty political, so I think you must get like a lot of vitriol. Like sure. for me, I do lifestyle. So the most I get is like thunder thighs, like tell her to lose some weight, right? And I'm like, okay, whatever. Like that kind of stuff like really kind of just rolls off the my back. But this was different because it was like like people were accusing me of raising my kids wrong and like threatening to take my kids away. And that's just like a whole other level of. Well, what I thought was so interesting is that you wrote an article after your first child was born that you tried to be a mom Instagram. How did you phrase it? A mom Instagram influencer, but yes. failed. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so uh, when I was on like maternity with my first one, again, I was bored and I needed a creative outlet. And I, I started this Instagram for, for Madeline, my older daughter, um, where I was just posting like cute pictures of her and it started taking off. Like we got like 10,000 followers. But so we started getting like, like brands asking us. And then like that Instagram account at some point hit like 17K and then I shut it down because I like didn't feel comfortable putting my kids on mine anymore. So I think my current approach to social media is like you can throw all the comments you want at me. Like whatever you say, I will probably be fine, but I don't put my kids on there. Yeah, so you've taken a slightly different approach. It's yeah. not featuring the kids. On your TikTok videos, you make the bento boxes. You make these incredible look looking lunches and then narrate what you want to narrate. Do you think it maybe gives you a little bit more control about like a different version of a mom influencer? I think so. I think that I'm definitely not your your like typical mom influencer because, you know, I tell a lot of stories about what they do. And so I'm sure they're curious what my kids look like. But I also like strongly believe, at least for our family, I think that my kids should be the ones to make that decision when they decide that they want to be on the internet. And I don't want to be the person to do that for them. It's just not my place. And so I, I'm just going to wait till they're like old enough and then they can decide. Do you think that experience of your... 12 weeks or whatever it was of being <laughs> a mom Instagram influencer with your kids blowing up brand requested account. Do you think that kind of planted a seed in your head for what later became the TikTok bento box videos? I think it was like my first foray into that world. And so I knew what to expect. Michelle knew what the industry was like. She could see how easily she could make money and really lean into the influencer world. But given her family and the career she still wanted to pursue, she chose to make careful and conscious decisions in her pivot. I will do brand deals here and there, and they are very specific, and they are chosen very carefully. Because in the end, like, my goal is just to hopefully uplift people and tell stories that will help them, I don't know, in some way, like explain how they're feeling or like I get a lot of messages from kids being like, I wish my parents were like this. I sent this to my mom, right? And like, that's a great thing. It's a great feeling for me. Can you lift up the curtain for us a little bit about how that works? Like, do you have a social media agent that finds deals? Do they reach out to you? Like, how does that all work? So people reach out to me constantly. Like I had a movie reach out to me recently to um, make a themed box around that movie. And then like when it came to them sending me revisions, I was like, I'm not comfortable with this. And we had all, both signed contracts on both sides. And it was, you know, it was like a pretty big deal. And when it came down to the 11th hour, I was like, I don't think, I'm not comfortable making any of these changes. And they were like, well, do you want to terminate the contract? And I was like, I think we have to, right? Like there's no other way around that. So I don't have an agent. I've had a lot of people reach out to me to be my agent. But I also, I think that that would just like, it wouldn't make me feel very honest about what's going on. So what kind of deals do you work with besides for, obviously, the greens? The things that I feel comfortable feeding my kid. I, I, I did do a campaign with Walmart Plus and Target, but both of those were not on my page. They were for them. So I was, like, mainly more talent than anything else. But, yeah, like, I, I haven't really done that many because I don't want to – just put random things in the lunchboxes. I really want it to be things I do feed my kids. Does the piece where you become the talent, does that cross over into your TV career? Huh. That's a good question. I don't think so. I think I, I try to keep them very separate. I mean, my all my bosses know that I do this other thing where I make these lunchboxes, but it's so far from what I do. Yeah, I mean, I've never like – I so for New York Live, I mainly cover beauty, skincare, fashion. And then for NBCLX, I really just cover national – issues. 
So there has been no like the Venn diagram doesn't overlap. There is no like lunchbox portion. <laughs> so <laughs> yet, yet. I mean, and I also have never covered like parenting or mom stuff. But to be honest, I'd like to keep it that way so that I can keep like my mom things separate. I also think it's like they're just like so it's these mundane moments in life, but there's something about it that feels so real because they are real. And that's like what people kind of relate to. And so I am probably one of the few reporters in a very unique position to do a TikTok live and an Instagram live and get stories from across the country from people and get to cherry pick what I want. Right. And so in that sense, I do think that it's going to help my job. But to be honest, like they're completely uninterested in everything else about what I do on social media. Although the shift is slow, Michelle is on the forefront of a new generation of media. She's in a unique position to bridge the gap between social media and traditional TV. Her background allows her to keep one foot in each, making her more accessible to younger generations. Now working for NBCLX, Michelle is able to use her passion for storytelling to communicate. Like I get to... You know, I wrote an intro to this other story I'm doing, and my boss wrote back. He was like, can you add a personal touch? And I've never been asked for that when I put a story together, right? Do you think that adding the personal piece is because if the network is geared towards Gen Z, that's how they want to receive the news? 100%. I think Gen Z feels like what is currently on television as TV news is so sterile and so uninteresting. Like, And I think that's the reason for that is because there's such a social media generation where they feel like they know the people that they're looking at every day at, on such a personal level. Like if you're – and I also think the issues that we cover just seem so much more compelling to me. Like it's it's less about, hey, here are the terrible things going on in the world. And at least what I cover is more about like, hey, let's take a look down at some of the interesting phenomenons that are happening in our society and discuss. From a young student at Stanford who thought she wanted to be a lawyer – to a journalist, to a TikTok creator, and back again. Michelle could teach a masterclass of making your way in the world through nonlinear paths. Her pivots have been unconventional, fueled by a global pandemic, and still evolving. I have no idea where I'm going. I mean, I I like where I'm at. I'm, like, really enjoying my work. I really feel like I've struck a balance where I can spend a lot of time with my kids. But... Frankly, I don't I don't really know. I just kind of want to enjoy the moment. <laughs> as cliche as that sounds. I feel like you what you're describing is something that I really feel that my goals used to be just professional. Yeah. And then suddenly my goals became how to balance my personal and professional. Yeah. And how to have meaningful work while still being able to balance the personal. Yeah, and it's very hard. It's very hard. How's everything going with you? Um, I feel like the way that I am trying to find the balance between the personal and the professional while still having professional things that feel nourishing and fulfilling is actually by doing this show. Oh, that's wonderful. I keep kind of joking. This show is my form of therapy, but it it truly is that I feel like I am maybe past the pivot. I'm maybe in the middle of the pivot, but the career as I knew it doesn't exist for me at this point, not with three kids so young. So it looks different. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking to find the, the stories that inspire me, the women who make me feel like, okay, you did it, like you took the moment that you were in and you changed it and it became something even better, maybe so that I 
don't feel like I failed. So I'm excited about this show. Do you feel like you failed? Maybe. I feel like the thing I was always so focused on was being at the height of a political career. Right. And I cannot do that at this point in my life. And maybe I will again one day or maybe it'll look different. I don't know. And so with this show, you're trying to, would you say, inspire other women to lean into that moment that you're kind of experiencing? Yeah, absolutely. To inspire them and to make them think about the options in front of them differently. Like to think about how to take the experience they've had and how to take the life event that they may still be going through or maybe that they're at the tail end of it and see that it can, it can build, those things can build on one another to be something that's incredible. Yeah. You know, when the Biden administration took over this year, it was really hard for me not to want to move back to Washington and to march into the White House. The, you know, people that had been my junior staffers are now working in the White House. So I felt like, ah, well, this is the moment I've been waiting for. Like, it should be me. But that option is not open to me right now because I have three little kids who are settled after moving eight times in 18 months. And we just can't do that to them again. So, you know, I had to think about it differently. But it's hard not to be a little bit resentful at my kids for feeling like killing my career. I 100% relate to that, though. Like, so how do you – how did you make that decision? Because there was another decision to be made. You could have decided, you know what, we're going to move a ninth time in 18 months. Yeah, to pick up and move back. Um, My husband was a little over it, Mm -hmm. and it was starting to feel like we were comfortable for the first time. Like, we had roots in a community for the first time. And pulling that up again just really – I don't think emotionally I could have handled it. Yeah. Feeling settled started to feel good. But then I had to find different work that felt fulfilling. And so here we are. And so here we are. That brings us to this very moment. In a podcast studio. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Emma. Michelle, it's been so great to catch up with you, and I'm excited to see what happens next. Thank you for listening to this episode of She Pivots where I talk with women about how their experiences and significant personal events led to their pivot and eventually their success. To learn more about our guests, follow us on Instagram at ShePivotsThePodcast. Leave a rating and comment if you enjoyed this episode wherever you listen to podcasts to help others learn about it. A special thank you to our partner, Marie Claire, and the team that made this episode possible. Talk to you next week. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. Ready to disrupt your industry without disrupting your flow? The Levy Evening MBA program at Santa Clara University could be the perfect fit. The Levy School of Business is where you'll reach new heights without compromising your current career. You'll meet your part-time MBA cohort two evenings per week on Levy's campus in the very heart of Silicon Valley, where innovation and creativity thrive. Join Silicon Valley's premier part-time MBA program for working professionals. Search Levy Evening MBA to discover more. Calgary is an opportunity-rich city home to innovators, dreamers, disruptors, and problem solvers. The city's visionaries are turning heads around the globe across all sectors each and every day. They embody Calgary's DNA. 
a city that's innovative, inclusive, and creative. And they're helping put Calgary and our innovation ecosystem on the map as a place where people come to solve some of the world's greatest challenges. Calgary's on the right path forward. Take a closer look how at calgaryeconomicdevelopment.com. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.